Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like to work in sports radio and TV? We'll talk about that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 111 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America here on Wednesday, May 16, 2018, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America Monday through Friday with a brand new show on Wednesday nights on the East Coast, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available after that broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode and additional content from the show later on Wednesday night on iTunes under The Bridge Sports Podcast or on my website at londonbridge.com. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text into the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. LeBron James is doing all that he can in his 15th season, the National Basketball Association, to carry the Cleveland Cavaliers to his eighth consecutive NBA Finals. Alas, so far against the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals, things aren't quite going according to plan. Since we'll get into LeBron in the next segment, let's flash back to around this time last year when the King was both a heckler and a hecklee during the NBA playoffs. It's time for the number one sports news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. LeBron James has been the best basketball player in the world for many years and has done just about everything in his power to justify his moniker of the Chosen One. But the King is sometimes forgetful of his greatness, even with that title branded on his skin, and still gets a little testy if challenged by fans or even reporters. Though LeBron is the undisputed best player, He's also the most hated and disliked, often criticized by the media and heckled by opposing fans, even home fans, on a day-to-day basis. He's all but exempt to be allowed to have a bad game or a poor performance in a big spot, and still receives criticisms for box scores that most players could only dream of. While the chirping and backseat drivers should stay as background noise for LBJ, criticisms sometimes make their way under his skin. Such was the case after Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Boston Celtics, when LeBron all but disappeared in the second half and didn't score in the fourth quarter for just 11 points in a three-point buzzer-beating loss. Celtics fans surely would have been ruthless if the game was played in Boston, but it was a little surprising to hear that one fan in Cleveland decided to have some words with the man who helped deliver the city its first championship in more than 50 years last year. As the story goes from ESPN NBA reporter and personal LeBron James scribe Brian Windhorse, while heading to his post-game press conference, LeBron was accosted in the hallway by a gentleman about his 11-point performance. 
LeBron was understandably incredulous and asked the gentleman what exactly he does. To which the gentleman answered, playing Division III basketball at Hiram College and shouting out some of his stats. An answer that would be like telling Tom Brady that a criticism was warranted because you were once able to beat his team on All Madden. Yes, Hiram College, a private liberal arts college located in Ohio, founded in 1850 as the Western Reserve Eclectic Institute by members of the Disciples of Christ Church, and whose most famous alumnus was the 20th President of the United States, Mr. James A. Garfield. The Terriers sports teams play in the North Coast Athletic Conference against the likes of Allegheny College, Denison and DePaul Universities, Kenyon College and Oberlin College, Ohio Wesleyan University, Wabash College, Wittenberg University, and of course, the College of Worcester. The men's basketball team finished with an 11-15 record, losing 90-44 in the opening round of the NCAC championship. But who are we to judge? After all, the Hiram College basketball team won the gold medal in the collegiate division of the 1904 Summer Olympics in St. Louis. Though it was the first time that basketball was actually a part of the Olympics and was included as a demonstration sport and no foreign teams participated, a gold is a gold. I'm sure the heckler remembers his playing days from 1904 quite well. LeBron's testiness from that night continued once he arrived at the post-game press conference as well as sports radio host Kenny Rhoda of WHBC found out firsthand. Kenny Rhoda, WHBC. LeBron, kind of off that defensively. What went wrong in that end of the third quarter through the end of the fourth quarter defensively? I mean, a lot of things went wrong. Um, I don't know. I can't play the, the game right back in, the, in my head right now, and I'm looking forward to seeing the film tomorrow when we get together. But... Um, you know, they like moved the ball like Double T said, 28 assists, and um, you know they kept us, kept us, you know, at bay. You know, we couldn't get stops, so we couldn't get out in transition a lot. And uh, those guys made, I mean, they made plays. They made a lot of plays. Um, they got some second chance points. You know, they we only had two fast break points, so you know they they neutralized what we wanted to do. For you, you said you know it was just your game. Couldn't get into a rhythm tonight. Is that what it was, based on? Their defense, or just not not feeling it, or what? Um, uh, no, it was just pretty poor. I mean, what do you want me to say? Yeah. Seems like you only answer. You only ask questions when we lose. I mean, it's, it's a weird thing with you, Kenny. Always come around when we lose. I swear. Yeah. Okay. But when it comes to heckling LeBron, not much can compare to the taunts thrown the King's way after Game Two of the NBA Finals. Despite a triple-double of 39, 16, and 11 to help lead the Cavs to a 95-93 overtime victory in Oracle Arena, one Warriors woman still wasn't impressed. Hey, watch your mouth, woman! Watch your mouth, woman! Hey! I remember your Facebook phone, you better hold my Hopefully, Hey Woman will have courtside seats when the Cavaliers come back to town for this year's finals. I'm John Lund for Sports News, read like real news. Let's take a quick break to remember the greatest LeBron James heckler of all time. Watch your mouth, woman! Hey! I remember your Facebook phone, you better hold my When we come back, we'll talk to someone who knows a thing or two about what it's like to work in sports radio and TV. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. 
As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to the bridge anytime at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to The Bridge. This week, we want to know, what sport are you most excited to legally gamble on and why? Now to a segment of The Bridge where we highlight some of the best quotes or sound bites from the latest week in sports. Here's this week's edition of The What? What you say? LeBron James is currently the greatest basketball player in the world, the top five greatest player of all time, and has a damn good memory when it comes to the game of basketball. And to quote Max Kellerman before he became a television troll, these three things I know are true. Regarding his memory, it's certainly impressive. During interviews, LeBron has been known to have little trouble recalling specific plays or sequences from past games in a season or even from games in past years. We even read about him reportedly telling Toronto Raptors players how to correctly run their own plays during the damn game of last year's playoffs. That said, though, one of the attributes of what makes a professional athlete is incredible memories, ranging from Hall of Fame players to the last guy on the bench. Learning the playbooks and schemes and scouting reports and tendencies aside, we're looking at what happened with LeBron James, who was asked what happened in the beginning of the fourth quarter of Game 1 against the Boston Celtics. He then began to rattle off each possession during Boston's run that pulled them away. Now, being able to recall specific plays just an hour after a game isn't an easy task, but something that easily more than half the players in the league could probably do. We'll get into that, but first, let's hear the king after the game. The Rodney Hour, Akron Beacon Journal, when the start of the fourth, I think they cut it to 14. Um, Do you have any idea what, I mean, I think they scored seven quick ones, anything, what happened there? What happened? Um... We ran him the first possession. We ran him down all the way to two on the shot clock. Marcus Morris missed a jump shot, followed it up. He got it. They got a dunk. Uh, we came back down. We ran a set for Jordan Crawford. I mean, Jordan Clarkson, and he came off and missed it. They rebounded it. Um, and we came back on the defensive end and we got a stop. They took it out on the sideline. Jason Tatum took the ball out, threw it to Marcus Smart in the short corner. He made a three. We come back down, missed another shot. And then, um, Tatum came down and went 94 feet, did a roll step, and made a right-hand layup timeout. <laughs> there you go. Last, last question, Steve. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? Okay, so a couple of points here. For one, the question itself, courtesy of Marla Rittenauer of the Akron Beacon Journal, who was the first woman to cover the Cleveland Browns back in 1981 and has been a sports writer for more than 30 years. I don't claim to be some sports media savant, and far be it for me to compare once asking high school coaches post-game questions to asking some of the best professional athletes in the world how a game was, especially after a loss. But we hear this all the time in post-game pressers and interviews when the reporters are mic'd up. Some of the wording of questions and the questions in general are just terrible sometimes. Here was Marla's question read aloud. When the start of the fourth, I think they cut it to 14, um, do you have any idea what, I mean, I think they scored seven quick ones, anything what, what happened there? Not necessarily easy to decipher, but she's asking how the Celtics were able to make that quick run in the start of the fourth to stop the bleeding and put the game away. But instead of LeBron addressing that, he basically shits on her question the way Greg Popovich or Bill Belichick would, but instead of mean mugging her or saying a one or two word answer, LeBron decided to recite exactly what did indeed happen there. How nice. However, instead of the room full of sports media and reporters realizing this, or at least moving on to the next question, they did this. (laughs) 
They laughed and laughed and clapped and clapped. Like LeBron went from the king to the jester, despite him playing one of the worst games of the playoffs with just 15 points and the loss. But let's have a couple yucks, even those in the media, because, hey, maybe LeBron will address you by name during an answer, and that'll get you a couple more Twitter followers or story clicks. And lastly, on this point, Rob Bradford for WEEI did some investigative reporting on this memory issue and the praise for LeBron James for being able to recall things instead of focusing on the loss and his performance. Rob decided to put some Red Sox players to the test at Fenway Park about 24 hours after LeBron showed us his memory and asked some of the relievers who had pitched the day before in Toronto if they could also recall what happened in the game they participated in. First up was Matt Barnes. No, not the NBA Matt Barnes, but pitcher Matt Barnes documenting his 14 pitches that night. All right. Uh, smoke, we started him off of the... Started to smoke off of a curveball, he fouled it off, then we took a curveball down, he took it. We were going heater up and he flew out to center. Uh, next at bat was Salarte. Salarte, we went back-to-back splitters to start, back to a curveball, fouled off. Curveball down and away, singled into left center. <clears throat> Who's up next? Pilar. Pilar, we started off with a fastball, came middle in, strike. Uh, went splitter. We took that one for a strike. Splitter fouled on the left field line. Next pitch, we went fastball. He fouled it back. Splitter in the dirt. He took it. Splitter in the dirt. Doubled it up. He swung and missed. Russell Martin, we went first pitch curveball, missed up, and then we went heater away, but it ran middle in. He doubled on the line. And then he threw it to Bogey. Bogey threw it to Baskey, and he was out of the plate. That was it. That was it. Every pitch. Next, Heath Hembry, who twirled 15 pitches. Uh, first pitch in to Kendry Morales, missed for a ball. Second pitch was fastball to end up middle-middle. Then I went slider down. He kind of checked, swung, swung through um, for strike two. Then I went curveball, kind of down the way, below the zone. He hit it to right field for a single. Then I threw um, Granderson two curveballs for a ball, then I went slider down and in for a strike, then fastball up and in above the zone, check swing for a strike, then I threw a uh, slider that was kind of middle of the zone for strike three, then I threw uh, Arena a slider in, he hit it to uh, third, but we got out at second, and then um, Oscar Hernandez, I went first pitch fastball away, kind of down, swung through it. Second pitch, fastball up and away uh, for a ball, then two fastballs up and away, swung through. Not too shabby, not too shabby at all. So in conclusion, LeBron is the king of many things, but let's maybe not crown him as the only one in sports with a memory. What you say? Now to this week's guest in Dan Grossa, who you could hear across the sports dial of Sirius XM and on ESPN Radio nationally or in New York and can also see on SNY. Dan has been in sports broadcasting for more than 15 years, working his way through radio from an internship to a national show and has broadened his horizons to include multiple stations, shows and TV gigs along the way. I first came across Dan Grossa on the airwaves of Mad Dog Sports Radio when he hosted the Mad Dog Sports Radio Tonight Show from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time, which quickly became one of my favorite shows on the channel, and I eventually worked up the courage to call in for my first time ever calling into a sports show, and I eventually became less of a stranger to the show and more of a weekly contributor as the days and weeks went on. And if you don't believe me, here's an actual exchange we had a little bit more than two years ago now, fittingly talking NBA playoffs. Johnny in Scranton is up next. Johnny, how are you? Danny, I'll tell you, I'm having a hell of a great day. I had the opportunity to chat with Mr. Steve Torrey this afternoon. After that, I followed up with an interview with Freddie Coleman for my podcast. And now I'm talking to you tonight, so you couldn't really ask for anything better. Now, now, now we have to rewind a little bit. Let, let's talk about the chain of events. So you had a chat with Steve Torrey. Was this on Dog Bites, or was this like private conversation? No, this, this was a private conversation. We actually, I introduced myself at Falcon at the, a couple weekends ago. Sorry I missed you at that. Uh, but just 
showed him some of my interest with radio, and he was just uh, kind enough to offer me some advice about the industry and some things I might like to do as far as maybe getting a foot in the door places. So I definitely uh, appreciated his time on that because he's he's got a lot of wisdom to offer. So Steve Torrey, who's, who's as busy as any man that is in the working force probably in this great state of ours, actually carved out some time for you. And That's sat right. down and gave you some words of wisdom, and I'm sure it was helpful, though, right? It was, I, I, and I'm still floored at the fact that you're right. He, he did take the time to speak, so I, I couldn't be happier for that. It, it's been a good day. We'll, we'll just we'll just say it like that. I'm I'm glad to close it off, chatting a little bit about uh, what we have going on. What's actually funny. I've actually spoken with Howard Beck on my podcast a couple weeks ago as well. So we're hitting everything tonight, Dan. Oh, uh, you're covering all the bases. So so oh. in, you found the, the Steve Torrey conversation helpful. I did. He, he was very knowledgeable. He's got a lot of experience in the industry and just offering some advice on where you might be able to go. Steve Torrey. Nice to do that and, and nice to, uh, to hear from him. So he, awesome. he's definitely got a lot to offer. Uh, it's a shame he's only on an hour a day. But, he's, uh, he's good people, definitely. Well, and that was good wanna, he took some time for you. Yeah. Uh, hopefully this leads to something a little bit better. I'll keep pushing on. You know, the, the grind never stops for, for everyone. Well, so. you're doing a good I, job anyways. I know what you do. You you do a hell of a job. So keep I at it. I appreciate that, Dan. It's, that's why I, I try and call in and, and just be educated by you guys because you do a great job on giving us some knowledge. And that's what I'm calling for tonight. I wanted to just touch on tonight's series. Mm. What I think might be a little bit unfortunate is that depending on whichever way it goes, if the Thunder can pull off this amazing upset, or the Warriors battle it out, I'm not quite sure if they're going to have enough left in the tank for this Cleveland team. This Cleveland team that might go 12-0, and that might not have any obstacles in their way getting to the finals, that have a chip on their shoulder in a way because they were snubbed a little bit last year because they didn't have a healthy team. I'm a little bit worried as to how this series ends, whether or not these teams can have enough energy to compete with Cleveland because you have a Thunder team that did something that the whole NBA field couldn't do, and that's beat the Spurs at home twice and then beat the Warriors last night, and they might do it again tonight. So I don't know if these teams are going to have enough left, and I'm hopeful that they do. I just think that this series will be a battle, and I think Cleveland might be a little bit better off as far as health is concerned, especially if they knock off the team very quickly, the Raptors. It just might be tough for the Western Conference team to match up against them just based on that alone. Yeah, Johnny, you're absolutely right, and a good call, good to hear from you. And, and I'll, I said this last night, and I'll break it down again for you. If Cleveland sweeps this series against the Raptors, Game 4 in the Eastern Conference Finals is Monday. That's May the 23rd. The NBA Finals, by hook or by crook, whether the Western Conference is, whether both of them are sweeps, they're not moving. They're set in stone. The NBA Finals are starting on June the 2nd which is a Thursday. So if you want to project a little bit, if the Cavs sweep, that means they will have played the last game on May 23rd and are off until June the 2nd. That is about 10 days of rest before the NBA Finals start. 10 days. Now what's at stake, though, because the NBA is smart, not like Major League Baseball. See, the NBA doesn't have the winner of the All-Star game deciding home court advantage for the Finals. There is potentially home court at stake for Cleveland. If Oklahoma City beats Golden State, then the Cavaliers get home court advantage in the finals. Golden State, of course, would have home court if they move through. But how about that? Cavs had eight days off between rounds one and two, nine days off between rounds two and three, and potentially they could have as many as ten days off between the conference finals and the NBA finals. That is staggering. It's wild, too, because the season's so long, and they never... like. They actually have to look forward to the postseason. Don't get me started with that. With the rest, break. why? I mean, do we really got to go with the rest again? That's what I and that's why I screamed and people got on me. I, I'm right. I'm so right. Don't think for a second that the rest that they gave these guys during the season is why they're playing so well now and they're nine and zero. They could have rested plenty in the play. LeBron could have went to the Bahamas. He probably went twice already just in the last three weeks with Chris Paul on the banana boat and Melo. None of their teams are in the playoffs this late. I can control what I can control. Very interesting how the times have changed in my career on Mad Dog Sports Radio and in the NBA.
Anyway, Dan would definitely be listed as one of my influencers for giving me the confidence and motivation to get back behind the microphone a couple of years after my college days to start up this podcast, evolve that to include weekly guests from around sports media, and then use this show as a platform for a career in sports radio, which as most of you know, I've been lucky enough to have started currently as an associate producer for ACC Radio on Sirius XM. Now, even further thanks to Dan for taking some time to switch things up and jump on my show, though this wasn't easy because I pride myself in researching my guests and scouring the internet to come up with questions that they don't normally get asked. But Dan Grossa is a ghost on the internet, and if anything, really that should be listed on his bio if he had one anywhere to list it. I think we did okay, though. We'll chat about how he decided to pursue sports radio and some of his early roles in the industry, the highs and lows of the different chapters of his career, what goes into his shows, what his roles are now, and much more. You can follow Dan on Twitter. He's at Dan Grasa. That's D-A-N-G-R-A-C-A. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Dan Grossa. You can see him on SNY and hear him on ESPN Radio and across the sports dial of Sirius XM. Dan, thanks so much for joining the show. How are you? John, things are great. Always a pleasure. It's good to catch up with you. I'm glad we could finally uh, make this happen. Yes, going to be very fun. And I have to say, it takes me back a little bit getting to hear your voice during the 8 p.m. hour, since that's when we're doing this interview, which we'll get into. Before we get into the many hats you currently wear in sports media, I wanted to turn back the clocks a little bit with you to get started. When did you know that you wanted to pursue sports broadcasting or what helped you drive you down that path? Probably when I was in college and I was falling asleep in the economics classes when I was a business major, I figured, you know, this might not be my best course of action in all seriousness. Uh, No, I mean, look, I, I think at an early age, we all either grow up playing sports or develop an affinity for it as a fan. And, you know, at that time, as I was getting older, you had the advent of sports talk radio and the medium started growing little by little. And you start to think a little bit ahead about your future, as I did, and certainly several others. And you thought, boy, this is something that might be interesting along the way. And, you know, as I said, once I got to college at Rutgers and, you know, I, I, you know all I was told was is that it's not maybe a good idea to go into this field because it's so unsecure and, you know, not everybody makes it and you have to pay your dues and so on and so forth. I went in and, you know, it was encouraged to maybe go the business route, but it just wasn't for me. And this is something that I pursued. And voila, all these years later, we're still going and having fun. What were some of the early roles that you took to start that path? Did it start at Rutgers or were there some internship opportunities? Where did you get a foot in the door in a sense to start beginning to find your sports radio voice? Yeah, both. I I, I think the the big break for me uh, just to even get my foot in the door and in the business happened at school. And it was my last semester when I realized, boy, I got to get something going here. And you mentioned internship and that's exactly what it was. I got myself an internship at ESPN Radio in New York, and it wasn't even anything in the programming side of things. I ended up getting an internship, because they didn't have programming interns then. I ended up getting an internship in the promotions department, and all that entailed was basically uh, making sure that the contest copy was up to snuff to give to the on-air host to read. Uh, Whenever there were prizes to give away, you mail those out and you call the contest winners. You show up at different live events and hand out flyers and magnets and anything to promote the station. Basically, as far removed as you could possibly be from the programming side of things, But the fact that I was able to do that for a few months, I made some connections there at the station, expressed to them that I wanted to be on air and to pursue that type of thing. They hired me as a part-timer out of the internship and then uh, was able to continue to grow and uh, get some opportunities there along the way. Was there a time in that early going when you maybe hit a low point in pursuing this career where the hours were long or there weren't enough available shifts or as you mentioned you're handing out t-shirts instead of maybe doing a show was there a time where you maybe doubted what you were doing or maybe had something to overcome with it well john as you know the hours are still long that never goes away and and that's 
that's the thing that I tell people all the time. There's no such thing when you're in this business and you really want to, you know, give it a go and, you know, give it a full-time pursuant. You, there are no holidays. There's no days of the week. There's no weekends. It's just you work when you work. And, you know, to your question, though, about low points, I think not so much as an intern because you were still so, or at least I was still just so geared up for being a part of it and was something unlike I had been part of anything else before, just, you know, going to that station every day, walking past the studio and looking in, and it was almost like you got this electric jolt. It was really invigorating being part of something like that. All that other stuff about low points and doubts and, you know, am I right for this and is this ever going to pan out for me? That's natural, and, I mean, we could get into it, but that happened, I would say, you know, a little while later than that. But initially, no. I mean, just the initial rush was unlike anything I had ever felt, at least in the jobs that I had done up until that point. Was there a time you can look back on when you would say you, in a sense, got your break or when you started getting on air, when you first started getting those early responsibilities to either get a show with a co-host or get your own show? When did that start taking off for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, um, the first time I got to actually work a shift in the studio and it was nothing more than answering phones, it was Thanksgiving morning while I was still an intern that semester. So they needed somebody, and I guess because whoever normally did it was either off or going home for the holiday. And I said, sure, I jumped at the opportunity, as you do. So that was my first exposure to the studio. Um, And from there on, like I said, it just grew and grew and grew. As far as getting on the air and having an opportunity to do on-air stuff, that didn't happen for, uh, I would say... You know, almost a year and a half later, I got an opportunity to do updates, and that was, I believe it was New Year's Day. That was the first time that I had an opportunity to do an on-air shift. So that came a little while later, but in the, in the interim, it was about continuing to work hard. Uh, you know, you make your connections. I mean, that's what this business is more than anything else. It's, it's networking. It's meeting the right people. It's getting your foot in the door. And then ultimately your hard work and hopefully your ability is going to take over. Can you give us a Cliff Notes version of sorts of moving through ESPN, then ending up at Sirius XM? We can get into what you're doing now and the different roles that you currently hold. But when you first right. were able to get started there, how you ended up on Mad Dog Sports Radio, that path. Sure. Uh, you know, so when I was still at ESPN, and that was still locally, that was the, the New York affiliate, which I loved. And, you know, I, I, I had expressed to them that I was going, to, I wanted to be on the air. I wanted to do on-air stuff. But, you know, realistically, there's not going to be that many opportunities, certainly in New York radio, for somebody like myself who was just starting out, just out of school. You have to pay your dues. And I really didn't have a resume. I didn't have a reel. I didn't, uh, you know, go work at some tiny station in the middle of nowhere to kind of, you know, harness my chops a little bit. I hadn't done that. So to, to just think that I was going to get that opportunity there right off the bat, it wasn't realistic. Now, they were nice enough to give me chances to, you know, develop my craft a little bit. I, they let me go out and do some reporting, you know, covering events, live games, and then doing live hits on the air and so on and so forth. So, you know, just incremental exposure. But I realized that if I was going to have to develop this more, I was probably going to have to go elsewhere. And at that time I had left and uh, ended up also in New York going over to a place to do sports updates for a station called 1010 Wins in New York, which is an all news station, but they do have two sportscasts, you know, twice an hour. And I was able to do that. And it wasn't long after that, while I was still there on a part-time basis, that I heard about this serious opportunity. A buddy of mine was working here and I came in and met with the guys and they hired me as an update anchor. And back then when I got here, which was back in Geez, 2007. I mean, we're dating ourselves here. The the company really had not grown into the giant that it is today. You know, that was still pre-merger. There was still only Sirius and XM. And the only thing that we had sports-wise up here in New York on the Sirius side was NFL radio. So the updates you were doing were just for the NFL channel. And that's really what my responsibilities consisted of here. So, you know, between those couple of places, just doing updates and that sort of stuff, that was uh, what I was doing at the time, but not yet really into the hosting side of things yet. When did you end up moving into that hosting side and getting to have your own show? That's a good question. Uh, boy, uh, I'm trying to think if I don't, 
if I remember right, I think after a while, um, you know, things grew here. You had the merger, new channels launched, and then, of course, the Mad Dog channel launched. And um, over time, uh, again, I, I talked to the guys here and expressed to them that, you know, it was something that I was looking forward to doing. I had known Steve a little bit from our Wednesdays because before he came here to Mad Dog, Tori, that is, he was um, the sports director over at Wins, and he would do the uh, weekday morning anchor shift. So just over time, uh, you know, continuing to express to them that this was something that I had wanted to do, and I, they gave me an opportunity, and, you know, another opportunity came after that. I don't think I'm leaving anything out, but, yeah, I mean, generally I think that's really where it started to build and to take off, just the, you know, occasional opportunities to do some hosting on the Mad Dog side of things. What would you say is the biggest difference from your show then to what a show is now, just with – Caller interactions, how you were able to fill a show. I'm guessing you couldn't rely on callers as much as you might now. Not saying that you do that, but the phones in the early going, from what I hear or, or what people remember, weren't necessarily ringing off the hook right away. So that leaves you two, three hours of, hey, you're just going to have to talk sports and you might just be doing it alone. What were some of those early days like? How your show was able to develop in the early going with the channel? Yeah, it, it, like I said, it was it, it, it's something that took its time because the channel was still relatively new. Um, but we had already been around for a couple of years, I believe, once I started to get into the mix. And I would say more than anything else, you start to learn more about yourself. You start to develop your own style. Yes, the callers are nice to have, and it's also you know something that you can kind of fall back on. But you can't just make that the basis of your show. You never want to go on the air and just essentially become a telephone operator, which you learn over time. You know, you have to be able to engage the callers. You've got to be able to interact. And you also have to keep things light. And the thing that I tried to do then and the thing that I try to do now, too, is you can't just make it necessarily too sports-centric. You can't sit there and preach to people. I don't think anybody wants to hear that. You've got to keep it light. You have to kind of maybe even go off topic a little bit occasionally because at the end of the day, the show should be, more than anything else, just a conversation that you're having with that person on the other end of the radio. It's almost as if you're riding in the car with them. You're sitting in one seat and the other person is sitting next to you. That's how you have to approach a talk show. At least I feel so. You had a talk show on Sirius XM Mad Dog Sports Radio from 7 to 11 Mad Dog Sports Radio tonight, and that aspect... That of, was a long time, wasn't it? it Four it hours. Was. That is a long show. Yeah, <laughs> it was. And that aspect... Believe me, I felt it each and every night. <laughs> <laughs> well, shout out to Rich and Eddie for uh, keeping you going and filling the silence. Oh, yeah. Right? Great. Yep. That was when I first heard you and that similar aspect that you mentioned of it sort of being like you're sitting in the passenger seat while you're sitting in the driver's seat talking about sports. Getting to have a show like that, not necessarily in drive time unless we're talking about L.A., but just to mm -hmm. have a four-hour show to fill Monday through Friday and building an audience. You would always hear similar callers. There were fans of the show on social media. What was that time period like, or just in general, to have a show like that, to have a backing, to be able to drive your own car, to continue using that pun for four hours each day, and, and just get to do that on Mad Dog Sports Radio? Um, well, I mean, to be frank, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today without it. Let's be perfectly honest, because I was allowed to develop my craft and kind of just, you know, refine whatever rough edges that I had during that time period. And I don't know if it came off that way. I don't know if it was received that way, but you know, that time was invaluable despite all the stuff, you know, uh, you know, the struggles and all the stuff maybe, you know, that came with it and the grind of having to do a show at night. And, you know, it doesn't really leave you much time for uh, socializing and, you know, doing fun stuff away from work. But, you know, I think it was invaluable for me. I really was because what I found afterwards is that once I branched out and started to do other things, and especially I would say more so the case with TV, once I got into television, all that stuff not saying that you don't work hard at it, but the TV side of things almost became a piece of cake 
if you can do a long-form radio program. I mean, if you could sit there and do a show for three, four hours, you're going to be able to handle a half-an-hour TV program with commercials and all that other stuff where you have to get everything kind of condensed down and make your point in just a finite period of time. So I would say the tools from the radio really helped me with a lot of other things that I've been able to do since. How much do you hear the outside noise? When you do a show, it's only common now with the rise of social media to get chirped at on Twitter. If somebody doesn't like a point that you may make, they might even right. call into the show and let you know that verbally. Is that something that you take note of to maybe improve yourself, or is that something that you learn to ignore as the years go on and that stuff just sort of becomes, as we said, just loud noise? Yeah, I, I, I think you have to ignore it. I mean, if you're going to do this thing for a living and you're going to do it um, long enough, you, you take the good with the bad. I mean, you know, as you know, Johnny, the, you know, the Twitter and the social media and stuff like that, it's a, a lot of it is, you know, it's, it's, it's a gutless form of communication for people. Like, you know, you're going to have your critics everywhere. But if you disagree with something, you don't like me or you don't like the host or whatever, pick up the phone call and tell me. I mean, that at least shows me, all right, that this person's, you know, a man enough to whatever call up and express how he feels. But to do it via the social media, to me, that's always just been a cowardly way of, of you know, attacking somebody. And that's why you hear Twitter is sometimes the cesspool. So you take it with a grain of salt. And there's also, you also come to realize that there's a great deal of, um, there's a great deal of, I think, jealousy to a certain extent. Um, a great deal of, you know, people that probably are, you know, haters like to hate. You know, you see it everywhere. And there's a lot, there's certainly a lot more high profile people uh, in our society or in entertainment or whatever you call that people just love to tear down. I mean, take LeBron James, for example, right? I mean, people sit here and pick apart his game with this. The guy's accomplished almost everything that there is possibly to accomplish. You see it all the time with actors, musicians, entertainers, politicians, anybody who's up there, people love to hate and just try to tear you down because I think to a certain degree, people are just miserable with their own lives. Let's be honest. There was a point when Mad Dog Sports Radio jarred its lineup a little bit, and it currently stands now where a couple new shows came in and a couple new shows went out, as what happens with many sports channels. We just saw Mike Francesa have a little hand in that at WFAN mm -hmm. in New York. Sure. And that just happens to be the nature of the beast. When you ended up moving to the weekend, having a wake-up or cross a show and, and not becoming a Monday through Friday thing, there was a lot of, as we said, outside noise on social media, this new show, where's Dan, when is he coming back? And the only thing I guess people might not have enjoyed but is the nature of the beast with radio is that sometimes you just don't have a show and you're not able to come on and, and tell people where you're going or where they might, might want to find you next or say thanks. You getting over that or overcoming that or moving to the next chapter in your life, what, what was that process like for you to just be able to make the switch into a new show, also pick up other shows on the way and sort of turn the page on what was your four-hour show with Mad Dog Sports Radio? Well, uh, you know, the funny thing about it is it's the, the, the weekend show was always there, if you remember, because even when we had the show Monday through Friday, I still had the show in the morning there on, on I believe it was Sundays. Right. Uh, so the weekend show was still always there. It's just that now the other stuff was limited. To make a long story short, um, it's the best thing that ever happened to me, and, and I wouldn't be where I am today, which is incredibly happy, incredibly satisfied, and, you know, successful. Uh, I don't think that's possible if we didn't have our little parting of the ways there Monday through Friday. Because obviously, you know, you get to a point in life, and this is with anything, not just with your career, really with anything, complacency sets in, right? Anybody can attest to that, where you're doing something, you're in a routine, and you just accept it for, all right, this is what it is. I wake up, I do this, I go to sleep. Tomorrow I wake up, I do the same thing. And that, to me, is what the show became. Uh, not to say that it became stale, but, you know, you, you, it got to a point where it, it took a lot out of me and it just kind of restricted me from going out and pursuing other opportunities. Well, once we decided, all right, this is the way we're going to go in terms of changing things up here Monday through Friday, that was kind of the kick in the you-know-what to where, all right, now you're going to have to go out there and see what else is there. Thankfully, um, you know, I, I found a pot of gold and, you know, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity just kept building up. I love the fact that I'm still here with this company in some capacity. I get to do the, the, the weekend show here. And I was given the opportunity to join up on the MLB channel, which I love to no end. I love working with each and every one of those guys. 
Um, And it gives me an outlet to talk about baseball, which I love, which you don't get a chance to do all the time on Mad Dog because, you know, it's not really a national sport as much. And and, and I think that's not a sport that day in and day out is going to drive a lot of phone conversation or maybe even talk radio conversation. So I love the fact that I could do that. You know, I, I, I got the opportunity now to do TV, which, you know, which I love, which is something I've always wanted to do, plus other ventures, getting back into ESPN, doing work for them, both locally and nationally, uh, joining up with uh, Madison Square Garden Radio last year and doing uh, pre and post for the Knicks and the Rangers, just so many different ventures that I wouldn't have been able to do if I was still there doing Monday through Friday, 7 to 11. So uh, for that aspect, I'm I'm more than beyond thankful that this is how everything turned up. You can probably fill in the blanks here a little bit better than I can. You mentioned there's ESPN New York, 98.7, ESPN Radio in general, loudmouths on SNY. You mentioned Mm -hmm. the pre- and post-game work, MLB Radio on Mad Dog Sports Radio on the weekends. Can you give a typical week's schedule, in a sense, what you're usually doing day-to-day, where people can usually find you, what you're usually on the radar to do when you're getting ready for work seven days a week? Well, it's it, it, the problem, I mean, if you want to call it a problem, I mean, I've just learned to live with it. I, I, I cannot live without my little, you know, daily, weekly planner, because literally from one day to the next, it's completely different. From one week to the next, it's completely different. I mean, there are a couple of shows that are locked in and, and the same week in and week out. But, you know, from one week to the next, it's completely different. And, you know, the great part about it is, is that I'm not... Uh, buttoned down or restricted to work anywhere or work a certain place a number of times, you know, as long as the phone keeps ringing, as long as the opportunities are still there, which thankfully they are, you know, I get to do as much as, you know, my body can withstand, if you will. So, you know, luckily business has been good and I just keep filling up that uh, little planner until uh, there's no more space. So I'm not complaining, John, that's, uh, that's for darn sure. No. And there's, no uh, rest for the wicked, I guess, is how the phrase goes. To Definitely quote, not. Cage no. the elephant. When did you feel comfortable enough or when did you know that you had found your radio voice? Because it takes a lot to host a solo show, either at a local level or at a national level, to be able to have strong opinions, to be able to fill three to four hours, to be able to then do that with callers. How did you find your radio voice when you got the confidence to be able to do what you do and feel comfortable doing that each day? I don't know if it was a specific time necessarily, but I think it was probably early on in those Mad Dog days where after a while doing the long form shows, doing the shows, you know, at time periods, whether it was late at night or whether it was on the weekends at night, when you're not going to generally have as big of an audience as you would, you know, as opposed to other hours during the day or during the week. And, you know, I think you just realize you take stock, you know, hey, I just I just did this. I had a, a long program. It was entertaining. I entertained myself. The callers liked it. You know, the audience was engaged. I I think after a while you do that and then you start to realize, you know what, maybe I'm not half bad at this thing. Not to say that, you know, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, but you realize, you know what, if I just keep at it, good things are going to happen because I, you know, you, you seem to know what you're doing. Let's put it that way. You're at least radio friends with Stephen A. Smith. I don't want to say how things are with you guys personally, but you've hosted for him when he's out. Perfect. Yeah, we're friends. Absolutely. (laughs) Excellent. So you're friends with Stephen A., you're radio friends with Stephen A., having him either on your show or filling in for him. You do loudmouths with John Hine. You're around these people and getting to talk to athletes and former broadcasters and big names in sports. Is there ever a time where you step back and, and go, how did I end up doing this? This is fantastic. No, I mean, if you mean like the whole starstruck thing, I mean, there's a couple of opportunities here and there, and and I can't really off the top of my head name one, whether it was a guest or somebody that you were around to where you said, wow. I think at the end of the day, what happens is you realize that, all right, it's it's you're a professional now, so this is what's come to expected. You get to, you know, one of the perks of the job, you get to interact with some of these athletes. You know, you're only a couple of feet away from, you know, so-and-so in the locker room, and you're interviewing this person where, or maybe it was somebody that you grew up watching on TV all these years. And and then you come to the realization, especially if you've been doing it as long as I have, that, you know, you're in the game yourself now. You know, not that you're maybe on the level of some of these other people, but it's like, okay, they're doing the same job that I'm doing, so it's just part of the uh, work environment. 
We don't have to divulge your age, but just from talking, we know you've been doing this for a long time, at least in sports radio. It's been a decent run, and hopefully it continues been, for many more years. Yeah, it's been, gee, since that internship, it's been probably going on almost 15 years. It's, you know, and you, it's, it, to say that it's flown by, you know, 15 years, yeah, it's flown by, but it, uh, you know, it takes a toll on you. And, you know, I remember one of my professors back at school um, in the program, I remember one of the things that he said was, you know, if you want to do this and you want to make a career out of it, he said, you got to want it. I just remember him saying that you've got to want it. And it's true. As I said a little bit earlier, you know, you have to, you know, take every job that's thrown at you, never turn down work, approach every job as if that's your dream job. That's the one you want. And I, you know, certainly I've tried to live by that over the years to get to the point where I'm at now. How have you been able to evolve with the landscape of sports talk radio with how much social media has grown since you started and continues to grow? How much the platforms now have changed in sports with where people can listen live or listen on podcasts or listen on demand? How would you say you've been able to keep up with everything and to continue to be successful in this industry? Funny thing, and, and, and obviously it's evolving. You're right about that. I haven't, um, I was somebody who was late to the party even when it came to Twitter. Like, I was, I didn't join only until like a few years ago. So I'm not one of these guys that's extremely active. Like, I, I don't feel the need and feel compelled to tweet every five seconds what I'm doing or to just constantly self promote me and, or, you know, what I, I don't, that's just not me. You know, I figure I'm out there enough, I do enough work. I'm usually, I could be found pretty regularly. That's where you can get me. That's where you can find me. You know what I mean? I don't have to be on social media 24 hours a day just constantly making myself available because that's what somebody in the public eye should do. Now, I just, I really don't do that stuff. Is it easy to continue to have to dress well now that you're on television where you might be able to roll up on the weekends at Sirius and jeans and a t-shirt? Now you have to put on a button down and different things. Have you gotten used to that yet? Yeah, I, I do, and I like it. I'm, I'm actually well-dressed right now, as a matter of fact, having done uh, the television earlier today. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, look, it comes with the territory. You know, TV is something that I wanted to do for a while, That you know, and that, that's part of the gig. That's, that's part of the job. I have no problem with that, and, you know, I look forward to the days where you do radio. Maybe you could just roll up not having to wear a suit and so on and so forth. But, yeah, I, I've actually, in the last year, I've gone out and, uh, expanded my wardrobe horizon pretty well because I realized that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's necessary, right? Work begets work. So the last couple things for you or questions, we joked yeah. before coming on here that it's very hard to find anything about you on the internet from bios to when you're even on some of the channels that you're on. So hopefully this has helped people get a better understanding of some of the different things you do. We, we basically have created a LinkedIn profile for yourself. Yeah, and that's really more than anything else, one of the things that I use the social media for, because obviously with my schedule and with so many different things that I'm involved in, it changes from day to day. It's different day to day. So that's the best way to find me to, you know, just to update people where I'm going to be on that given day. That's what I try to get out there at least through that platform and you've made it easy people can find you on twitter at dan grossa so that's a simple way there to you go. get things done and follow what you're doing so i have this quick hitting question segment to end yes. the show called easier pass and you can yes. certainly pass on these but i think they'll be easy enough hopefully the first one is your jets are you excited for what they've done in the draft do you think this very, is going to be the, the next coming with sam darnold how are your thoughts so far on them uh very excited it's not going to happen overnight but you know sam darnold to me was you know the funny thing about sam darnold if he came out in the draft last year in what 2017 he probably would have been the number one pick in the draft and maybe his performance wasn't up to what many people expected this past year with the turnover increase and so on and so forth. But the fact that he fell into their lap at number three, and I, I just think the, the world of his ability, I think he's got the right mind frame. I don't think he's one of these guys that's going to be seduced too much by the bright lights in the big city. And as I said, it's not going to happen in one year. You know, they, they really do not have a, a – playoff caliber roster around him but you now have potentially the most important building block moving forward which is that franchise quarterback so yes I, i'm i'm thrilled and, and very very optimistic at what's to come in the years ahead 
And more on that on the Dan Grossa Show on demand at ESPN New York and the ESPN Radio. We can there hear a lot go. more about the Jets. They keep winning. That's only going to help the show. Well, if they lose, too, that does help. But That's true. Like that, that's right. That's happy. when people want to complain. Yeah, you're right. How about on the baseball side of things? What are you thinking about uh, your New York team? Well, it's funny because, you know, baseball is an interesting sport, especially if you are a fan in New York. You know, they take it so seriously on a day-in, day-out basis. I always say that in New York and, you know, crazy baseball cities, and that's not the only one, of course, in the country, but in some of those markets, they treat baseball as if it was 162 one-game seasons. <laughs> They're overreacting one way or the other after each and every single game. This guy's a bum. you got to fire this guy. They're going all the way. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. And, you know, baseball more so than any of these other sports, it truly is a marathon as opposed to a sprint that you're, a team is going to have, on average, you're going to go through probably four or five peaks and valleys. It's a roller coaster ride the entire season. You know, last week we were sitting there talking about how great the Diamond Diamondbacks are, and they're the best team in the National League, and here they get swept over the weekend by, by the Nationals in four games, and they're scuffling a little bit. You know, everybody had the Dodgers going back to the World Series this year. They look like a train wreck at this moment, and who knows if they're even going to be able to get it back together again before the playoffs start. So, I, I mean, baseball, you have to keep an even, an even keel to it, and that's why I don't know if some of these people would be, or would be available to you know, be in the dugout or be a manager or be a coach or even be a baseball player just because you really got to take a step back, not get consumed by it. Do you have a Christopher Mad Dog Russo story you would like to share from getting to follow his show? Technically, you're following Dog Bites with Steve Torrey, former cohort for 1010 Wins, but I'm sure you might have passed Chris or have seen him in the studio for those years there. No, I, not, I mean, not one in particular. Um, the thing is, is, you know, I, I don't know if people realize it. I mean, this is really any host for the most part. One, once that show's over, you're That's out the it. door. He's going to catch the train. Gone. And, and I'm no different. I mean, every, because, you know, you get there, you, you do the show, you empty the tank, and then when it's over, boom, you, you, you're the first one out the door and you want to leave and, you know, go do your day or do whatever else you want to get home, you know, fight that traffic, hit the trains, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, there was, I mean, we just, you know, no different than the occasional interaction that we have just in the, uh, in, the office whenever we see each other all right even quicker your favorite poster in your childhood bedroom Ooh, favorite poster in my childhood bedroom boy that's a good one um favorite poster probably i'll say i had this really cool I don't know if it was childhood. It was more like teenage years until I moved out. I had a really cool um, Beatles poster that was pretty cool. Your best Halloween costume, either as a child or one you've been able to drop now. Oh, I was... I don't know if it was my best, because, again, I couldn't come up with these things. It was always my mother. Um, I think one year it was well-received. I was a crayon I think people like that one. A children's game or a board game that you would win if we were to play it now? I don't know if I would win. Um, and I'd let you question. win for the purpose of the show, but just in Right, general. right. Um, I, I mean, I, I would probably, you know what, I wouldn't mind a lot of them. I, I would... I would welcome the opportunity to play them again because I haven't played any of those games in a good long while. So anyone that you put out there, John, you know what? I I'd love to play it. So some Saturday I'll drop by Sirius XM, wake up with Gross. I'll bring Shoots and Ladders, Clue, not Connect Monopoly. We'll, we'll be there a little bit too late. But, yeah, stuff like that. We'll, we'll see who can be the top dog for games like that. Perfect. And play playing board games on the radio actually great works radio. very, very well. Great, great radio. Great radio. Yes, everybody can relate to board games on the radio. Yes. The last one is your first concert or your first album or both. Uh, first concert, I was very young. Um. I don't remember it very well. I mean, I remember I was there just because I remember even the, the uh, pandemonium, even at that age. It was a uh, Michael Jackson, believe it or not. Wow. Excellent. Yeah, it wasn't, it, it, was, I, it wasn't Michael Jackson. It was like the Jackson 
um, like the Jackson reunion tour, like right. the, you know, like, and I don't know if they call themselves the Jackson five, but like in the mid eighties, they like toured together, but obviously he was like the star of the show because it was at like the, the, the height of his, uh, his popularity there. So I remember even at a young age, I remember he like, and you know, did a set on his own, you know, apart from the brothers and everything. And then you felt like you were at a Michael Jackson concert. I didn't know any better. I was so young, but I do remember that. All right, really the last one, your go-to or would-be go-to karaoke song if you do that sort of thing. Oh, my goodness. Um, I've never done karaoke. Um, I played in bands, though. I was in bands. Um, I don't know. I don't have one in particular. Just, I, you know, whatever. I, I, um, that's one thing that I miss. And if we want to loop all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, one of the reasons why I always – tell people that I kind of got a late start into this business is because for a while there, when I was in college, I got very into music and I was pursuing that and playing in bands and stuff like that. So I gave that a go for a little bit and had to put the broadcasting stuff on hold. What did you play? Guitar, bass, little keys. So I was, yeah, went at it pretty good there for about for about two to three years or so. I mean, we were uh, going pretty serious and, um, Funny thing about it is, is my wife, even to this day, I have, I have not picked up a guitar probably in all the time that I've known her, which is going on probably 15 <laughs> years. And she kids and she's like, I don't know this version of you. She's like, you keep talking about this. I've never seen you play a thing. So one of these days I'm going to have to prove that I'm not, you know, uh, telling lies. Yeah, and Wonder go Wall around something. the campfire. That's always a good go-to with the acoustic guitar. Absolutely. So yeah, what was you your know, favorite the, song to play? We can end it there. I, I don't think I had a favorite song. It was just I loved playing. I would, always, You know what I'd be doing? I would be sitting there watching sports with a guitar on my lap. That's what I would be doing. <laughs> well, I think it would make your wife happy if she were to come home from work one day and see you on the couch playing the guitar, and yes. then you could get her into that part of your life. Or she, or she would just say, well, who is this person, and, and <laughs> what have you done with Yeah, what have you done with him? Dan, it was a pleasure catching up with you and getting to learn some of the things you've done throughout your sports media career. As we mentioned, people can find out where you are on your Twitter at Dan Grossa and find it just on the normal Twitter accounts of the shows and different channels that you're on. But continued success with everything you're doing. It's, it's a pleasure to continue to hear your show, even though I have to be up early to do so. When I do happen to wake up that early, I know at least I have you in the drive time. So I do appreciate that. And keep uh, working seven days a week and killing it. That's what it is. If there was an eighth day, I'd probably be working on that one too, Johnny. You know how it is. Same to you, my friend. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we can make this happen. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Wednesday night, and also be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find The Bridge on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And can listen to a brand new show on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time by searching for Sports Radio America on TuneIn. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll dabble in the NBA, dive into Major League Baseball, circle the wagons of the National Football League, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.